Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building. I finally pointed the right way after years of doing this on StreamYard. We're going to talk about a few different topics today. It's We're getting into the offseason, guys. It's, it's coming up to be hard. But I want to talk a little bit more about Damian Lillard's situation throughout the course of this show. If only because, look, I feel like Portland fans have not been serviced throughout all of this conversation throughout the media, right? I think what Portland fans want more than anything else is a realistic assessment of the marketplace for Damian Lillard that does does not just include Miami. So we're going to go through this process and basically lay out, if it's not Miami, who is it? Who could give realistic offers? What could those realistic offers look like? Should some of these teams get involved? Everything like that. It'll touch on a number of teams. So we figured that this will be a good, not just Portland-based topic, but a national topic in some way. I feel like it is reasonable for Portland fans to be frustrated about all of this. And I would like to at least acknowledge their frustration in some way by discussing the market and where I see the market laying itself out. I also want to talk about this weird Miles Powell lawsuit. I think we're actually going to open on that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Miles Powell, Powell, the former All-American point guard, shooting guard, really shooting guard, from Seton Hall, uh, is suing Seton Hall in regard to lost compensation, essentially. And then finally, we're going to take your questions. If you guys have any questions, we're recording this live. We're up on YouTube as we speak. Please ask them. Come to the chat, ask questions, ask us on Twitter. We have a bunch of really good questions already that I'm super excited to get into. We will answer them. We we will go for probably like 40 minutes today, and then the rest of it's just going to be answering questions. So please, by all means, by all means, ask questions in the comments. We will get to them. Anything you want, like, look, we're not going to answer like completely fucking ridiculous stuff, but like basketball stuff you know some life stuff to some extent movies nba draft whatever you guys want we will answer okay i want to start on this miles powell thing though because it's probably the thing i'm like most interested in uh across media right now i want to shout out daniel libet over at sportico for writing this story today in regard to seton hall particularly subpoenaing all 30 nba teams asking for scouting materials in regard to Miles Powell. So for people who do not know, I actually did some research on this before we went live. Miles Powell, back on, I'm looking for the date here. I have the court documents in front of me. Uh, Miles Powell initiated litigation against Seton Hall, Kevin Willard, and Tony Testa. Uh, Tony Testa, I believe, is the uh, some sort of trainer or uh, medical person at Seton Hall. On July 14th, 2021, Miles Powell initiated litigation against them, essentially saying that Seton Hall was negligent and breached their fiduciary duty by playing Miles Powell injured uh, throughout the course of his final season at Seton Hall. Now, 
there are a number of factors here that I want to talk about. And there are a number of factors here that I find interesting uh, from a scouting perspective, from an NBA perspective, from a responsibility of college coaches to players perspective. When you heard about this Miles Powell thing, because look, it's been going on for two years, but we're finally getting to like the crux of it now, it feels like where Seton Hall is trying to get scouting documents from NBA teams saying like, hey, we need to know where your scouting materials were. Because ultimately the big eye opener here for me was Miles Powell's attorney is claiming here in count or uh, here in point 27 in what I believe is exhibit a, it looks like such a standout college career capped by such a successful senior year should have guaranteed Powell to be selected as a lottery pick in the NBA draft. But the professionals connected to the various teams in the NBA had suspected or discovered that Powell had a serious injury to his right knee that had gone untreated. Yeah. uh, For people listening to the show, Spins is giving side eye. I am also giving side eye to that statement. But that is the claim. That is the claim. When you read about this, I sent you this article earlier. You have not looked at the documents necessarily in the same way I have. But when you see all of this, that Miles Powell is suing Seton Hall, essentially because he was not aware of the severity of his injuries. What is your immediate reaction to this? I had a lot of um, eye-opening reactions and just reading the article that you sent me and trying to read up on this a little bit. And uh, obviously the big eye popper is this claim that Miles Powell was on course to be a lottery pick his senior season uh, if it were not for injury and being able to play through injury in a way that ostensibly impacted his performance negatively um, or changed his medical outlook long-term that NBA teams would then be fearful of. So I find that to be very large, very tough pill to swallow in some regard that, that that's not adding up to me in a lot of different ways, but on the other side of things here, um, I think that it would be really unspeakably wrong for a college athletic program, whether it's basketball or otherwise to have knowledge of an injury of a player that is severe and withhold that information from the player or encourage them to play through it for the school's benefit, not necessarily for the players. So I, I think that this is one of those it's, I think the most fascinating thing for me to watch is going to be how NBA teams either react to this or are forced to react to this by the court. I find it to be a large stretch for Seton Hall to request this type of information from NBA teams, not just because it's competitive and should be protected in a lot of different ways, but I have a really hard time believing that that's going to be this smoking gun for Seton Hall of like, see, he was never going to be a lottery pick. We didn't cost him anything. Like, I don't think that's really the heart of what this is about, right? This is about proving that there was no wrongdoing on Seton Hall's end. If they can, I don't know what we're doing here. I also don't totally know 
what we're doing here. Look, Seton Hall has not necessarily like gotten their day in court on this complaint yet. Right. Mm -hmm. But I do want to note here that I'm generally with you. Like if this is true and Miles Powell, like in some way, shape or form uh, was unaware of the severity of his injury. Right. Uh, And if you look through Powell's original claims here throughout uh, basically second game of the season, he suffered what he thought was an ankle injury. December 14th, he suffers a concussion, an injury unrelated to the ankle injury. Throughout these games from December 30th onward, Powell continues to feel pain in his right knee and his practice time got limited. When he'd ask uh, Testa about the pain, the doctor would advise that it was a bone bruise and playing on it would not exacerbate the injury. Before these games to alleviate or mask the pain, Dr. Testa would inject painkiller medicine into Powell's knee to allow him to play and perform on behalf of the university. Uh, Just continuing to look through here. What Powell in point 26, what Powell did not know is the defendants knew he had suffered not just an ankle injury and concussion during the season, but a lateral meniscus tear to his right knee, which should have necessitated his sitting out the rest of the season. So as to not exacerbate the injury Uh, I'm, looking through here to see if the if Seton Hall has responded but in general like if Miles Powell did not know that this was the injury th- that is a real problem like truly really that wrong. that is a that is a significant issue as yeah. a coach Adam cuz look this, this is a situation that you like generally have to deal with mm-hmm. uh, theoretically you could have to deal with what is your reaction to that? As I kind of look through to see if I can find a yeah. Seton Hall response here in some of these court docs. Yeah, as a coach, I find it pretty disgusting, to be honest with you. Um, if this were, if, if true, if Let's true, true. Right. if if alleged here is true, it's it's disgusting. You have to put your players first in every aspect of how you run your program. You've got to protect them from a health and safety perspective above all else. Uh, I would be look. It's basketball, like. Yes, it's what we as coaches do for a living. It's what we care about and love so much. But you coach and you are involved in this game for the people and the relationships that you build from it, not to win games or move on to the next one. And if if your mentality is to tell players to suck things up or to not share with them information that allows them to make a best informed decision for their own body and health and safety – then you're breaching the trust that is really built on the coach player relationship. So I would be appalled if something like this were happening. I I wouldn't be shocked because there are a lot of coaches and there are a lot of programs out there that view winning as the only thing that matters, but it very strongly goes against everything I believe in as a coach. And I think most people believe in as a coach. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's it's very hard for me to. It's really hard for me to like wrap my head around that piece of it yeah. on some level, right? Like Kevin Willard is like not a bad dude that I would I would find it hard to believe that he would be in some way, shape, or form playing a player like this. But 
you know, let's 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 take it on its face, right? That maybe Miles Powell believes this, and we shouldn't discount Miles Powell's concerns, right? I think that what happened today, where the report happens of this subpoena to NBA teams asking for their work product. This is very silly to me. <laughs> like a- a- NBA teams just like, like literally call anybody. There's no circumstance where Miles Powell was ever seen as a lottery no. by anybody in the public sphere. No. Nope. No circumstance where Miles Powell put it this way. If you're, if, if you're a lottery pick, You don't play at the combine, right? Mostly, and and by at least by the time he was declaring for the draft, I think that had been pretty firmly established. Yeah, I, I mean that that feels feels right, right? Like it does. Did Miles Powell play at the combine? I don't remember, but uh, just thinking of how many seniors get drafted in the lottery nowadays. Like that is a rarity in itself. Uh, you know what? That was the 2020 draft. And I guess the Powell. Um, I'm not sure that he even got a chance to play in that scrimmage. Did he? I can't maybe remember. he did. Maybe they, maybe they did do that. I can't remember. I'm looking now. I'm like trying to find 2020 scrimmage box scores. <laughs> Oh, thorough Vicini here on the podcast tonight. And, and like, look, a, a lot of this, I think at the end of the day, it's really hard to take a look at scouting information and notes that teams or people and individuals would compile and make a firm, real statement about where a player could or would have been drafted had their performance been different. Like there's, there is no way to actually know if Miles Powell did not play through an injury and his season ended at a certain time, or if he, you know, had played and was healthier and performed better where he would go in the draft. There's no way to know that information. Like, I don't know what getting these notes actually will prove if you are either Seton Hall or your Powell. So just want to note what essentially Seton Hall is asking for, because Seton Hall is the people requesting the documents here, right? Seton Hall basically wants to go to NBA teams and say, did you ever have a lottery grade on Miles Powell? Did you ever have a first round grade on Miles Powell? I would bet you very few teams had that, if any, without the injury concerns, right? So with that being said, I get why they're asking for this. I don't think, because look, as soon as they get that, it's going to be like NBA team grade, second undrafted, second undrafted, second undrafted. Like everybody's going to have that kind of grade on him, right? Uh, For the most part. What they're asking for here in point two of this subpoena, which it looks like Sportico and Dan Libet got the Memphis Grizzlies subpoena, 
uh, based off of this. Because I'm literally looking at the subpoena uh, right now because Sportico posted it. Shout out Dan Libet. Uh, any and all documentation of every nature and description, including but not limited to complete scouting file, performance evaluations, pre-draft player evaluations, in-season player evaluations, total number of games played, full statistics of games played, copies of any and all video, audio, or other electronic recordings prepared by any member of the Memphis Grizzlies organization or received from any other entity, including the name and organization who prepared the electronic recording, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, They're also asking for any sort of medical records, which seems reasonable to me, like asking medical records. The problem is asking for scouting information on my end really starts to get complicated because I, based off of my reading of that, Memphis theoretically, if a judge rules against them, would have to include like their proprietary like modeling information. Yes. I would think, which every team has, not just Memphis, but like any other team in the league, they will all have to include their proprietary modeling information into this. And that is a lot. Like truly, that's that's like incredible value that an organization would be giving up by putting these into court documents. Because look, it took me under four minutes to get all of these court documents from like this, uh, from like a database. If an NBA team is forced to release this and each NBA team is going to get to devour certain things within their model and like maybe try and like, look, you'd probably just have to do the results of what your model said, but you could then try and like back channel it a little bit and figure it out that way. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be furious if I was an NBA team with Seton yep. Hall right now. I would be even more furious that uh, they're the ones requesting it, and I, I like this is a this is a bad bad pathway to walk down. But I get why Seton Hall is doing it. Like this is real money that they're doing. Uh, this is the easiest way to like kind of prove. Look, Miles Powell is not a lottery pick, right? But also like. Miles Powell was not a lottery pick because here, here's the deal. You go back through, let, let's go to the 2020 NBA draft. Okay. Right. Yep. Fun year. In the 2020 NBA draft, do you know how many seniors were taken in the lottery? Uh, I want to say one. There were zero seniors zero. taken in the lottery. Do you know how many seniors were taken in the first round? Of the 2020 NBA draft. I'll say two. There were three. Can you name them? Oh, probably not. Um, This is going to be a tough one for me here. Uh, Peyton Pritchard. Yep. Trivia time, folks. Uh, Oh, Desmond Bain. That was Desmond Bain year. Desmond Bain, too. No, I got nothing else. Yudoka Azabuke is three. Uh, Do you know how many seniors went in the lottery in 2019? 19. Mm, One? I'll guess one. One. Uh, Do you want to guess who it was? In 19? uh, Seniors. Was Rui a senior? No, Cam Johnson. 
Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson. There Cam we go. Johnson. Two others went in the lottery. Matisse or went in the first round, not the lottery. Matisse Thibel and Dylan Windler in 2019. In 2018, we're going to stop the trivia time stuff. Uh, in the first round, I'm seeing, or in the lottery, I'm seeing zero seniors. In the first round, I am seeing one, two. It looks like uh, Grayson Allen and Chandler Hutchison. Okay. In 2017. We're looking at zero lottery pick seniors and two first round pick seniors, Derek White and Josh Hart. Again, there is no basis to believe that Miles Powell was ever a first round pick based off of the information presented in this lawsuit. Now, I don't want to diminish Miles Powell's situation here because if he believes that his knee injury got exacerbated by information that he did not have, that could have impacted his career earnings long term. And I'd be interested to hear out an an argument on that, at the very least in some respect. But like... this dude's not based off of what the information being presented in this lawsuit. There is no information that has been presented here that says that miles Powell is, has been denied an NBA career by Seton Hall's decision-making here, regardless of whether or not they did or did not um, play him injured. And finally, the other thing I will point out here is you go back through, let's say, the 2018 NBA draft. How many six foot two? Let's actually get Miles Powell's like exact combine measurements. Okay. Uh, Miles Powell was six foot one and a half in shoes at the 2020 NBA draft combine. How many under six foot two scoring guards have been taken in the first round? Uh, from 2018 to 2020. Uh, Colin Sexton would be one. Uh, I believe Jerome Robinson's like 6'4", so he does not count. I'm like really trying to run through here. Grayson Allen's somewhere between 6'4 and 6'5". Anthony Simons is like 6'3", 6'4". Aaron Holiday was like a defender and passer and playmaker. He doesn't really count. But, you know, let's say there were two guys six foot two or under three guys, including Trey young, six foot two or under who got taken in the first round, all of Trey young, Aaron holiday and Colin Sexton, demonstrably, demonstrably better prospects than miles Powell. Uh, in 2019, it would seem not seeing any in the top 20, not seeing any in the first round. It looks like, Darius Garland, maybe. Yeah, Darius Garland, six foot one. So one guy that is comparable in size to Miles Powell. Um, Carson Edwards got taken 33. Like maybe Carson Edwards is like your best comparable if you're like trying to be generous, but Carson was way better. Um, and then finally, let's go to his draft in 2020. And this will be the point we close on. I feel like we've talked more about this than I wanted to, um, which often happens on this show. Uh, what we do. 
Yeah. So in 2020, Kyra Lewis is six foot one. He got taken in the lottery. Cole Anthony is what? Six foot one, six foot two, six foot two. Let's go with. He got taken 15th. Tyrese Maxey is like six foot two. He got taken 21st, but he fell in the draft comparably. Emmanuel quickly got taken. He's six foot two. Super long though. Peyton Pritchard got taken. Malachi Flynn got taken. Tyrell Terry got taken. The 2020 draft is probably like his best argument because a lot of these guys got taken, but only one of them was a senior. Only one of them really had like a truly like all American year in Peyton Pritchard, uh, Tyrese Maxey, you know, Emmanuel quickly, Cole Anthony, Kyra Lewis. These guys are all pretty young and aged out before they could get to, you know, being all Americans. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's the whole thing is kind of, Again, I don't want to completely throw out the substance of what Miles Powell is saying because I think there is a chance that Miles Powell may have lost some revenue here, and I would be willing to hear out an argument on that front. I don't think Miles Powell lost out on an NBA career uh, based off of anything that happened here. No, and the last thing I'll say here is just find it fascinating. Like by subpoenaing all these records from NBA teams, like. For Seton Hall, this doesn't win them their case. It doesn't disprove that they had any wrongdoing. It just helps them establish damages in some regard, whether that's in a settlement or anything that would be determined by the court. So a real fascinating move to be like alienating NBA teams or making some enemies out of them to not even win yourself the case just to figure out how much money you would have to pay in the case you were ordered to. Yeah. Uh, Look, I mean, depending on like, in theory, damages could be like exponential if a judge would buy that, like he had in some way, shape, or form uh, lost revenue because of this. Like, you could say, especially with the way that like money is going up in the NBA and everything, like, if a judge would buy the case that he was an NBA player, uh, it could be a lot. But I get what you're. I, I think you're it's right. Just, that's just so hard to prove. Like, okay, even if he gets drafted twenty eighth, like that, he could be out of the league in a year and a half and only play six games. Like, you never. It's just so hard to prove, man. It's so okay. hard to prove. I agree with you on that. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back. We're going to talk about Damian Lillard, and if not Miami, then who? Okay, let's dive in. My idea here is to run through non-Miami teams. As I talked about recently on the show with Andrew Schlecht that happened earlier this week, I still think this probably just ends with Miami and Miami acquiring Damian Lillard because I think Miami is incentivized to do so. I think that they will eventually get together an offer that meets the needs of Portland. And I think Portland doesn't want to make an enemy of one of its three best players in 
uh, franchise history, right? Having said that, I do want to at least go through the exercise of talking about a few teams that reasonably could or maybe shouldn't make an offer for Damian Lillard. So I, I kind of just want to like run through, frankly, most of the teams in the league and some of them will take under five seconds and some of them will take, you know, even less time than that and just explain why these teams should or should not make an offer for Damian Lillard. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks should not really make an offer for Damian Lillard. They have Trey Young. They have DeJounte Murray. Uh, lead guard is like the last thing that they really need. The Boston Celtics, Jalen Brown is untradeable now that he has signed his massive extension. You're not moving Jason Tatum for him. Kristaps uh, Porzingis could be like interesting salary, salary ballast for a team that needs value. Like, do you think there's a world where Boston should get involved here in terms of a Damian Lillard trade? And do you think Boston can top a Miami offer? I don't know if they can top a Miami offer. Um, but what I find interesting, or at least how I view it, I think that ship sailed as soon as Jalen Brown kind of signed his extension here. Like, I just, I don't know how palatable trading for Dame is or uh, what Portland would really want back from Boston. That's what I'm struggling with. They don't really have a young guy that like really truly stands out uh, in my opinion. And then on top of it, you know, they do have all of their picks outside of a like swap right to San Antonio in 2028. But, you know, you could do a 2024, 26, 28, you could do three picks and then you don't have the dudes like they'd have to want. Chris stops. They'd have to want Rob Williams and his injury questions. They'd have to want um, Malcolm Brogdon and his injury questions. Like you, you'd, you'd have to want Derek white in the two years left on him. I actually think Boston probably can't put together an offer that makes as much sense for Portland as Miami can. Agree. Okay. Next up is Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn is a team that we should talk about realistically. I want to save them maybe for the end. Okay. Charlotte. Charlotte is rebuilding. Charlotte should not be going down the road of Damian Lillard. Uh, Chicago. I will save for later. Cleveland. Cleveland is, you know, has Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. They should not be doing this. Dallas has Kyrie Irving and Luka uh, Doncic. They should not be doing this. Denver has Jamal Murray. No. Uh, Detroit is rebuilding. Has Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey. No. Uh, Golden State, I guess, is like 5% interesting. And I think maybe we'll save them for a minute. Sure. We'll save Houston for a minute. Indiana has Tyrese Halliburton. They are rebuilding. I don't think they're going to have interest. We'll save the Clippers for a minute. The Lakers, I think, don't have the assets to do it. Honestly, the Clippers don't have the assets to do it, so we can get rid of the Clippers. Um, <laughs> Memphis, I'll save. Miami is the team that we're not including. Milwaukee does not have the assets to do it. Uh, Minnesota should not move. Let's save Minnesota briefly. New Orleans, New York, we'll save them. Oklahoma City, I've seen some people raise the idea of Oklahoma City. They're going down the long road of rebuilding, uh, like, frankly, building now. I don't see a world where they're acquiring a 33-year-old point guard. Orlando is a team we can save. 
Philadelphia, I've talked about that with Schlecht kind of at length about like a potential three-way idea of James Harden going to LA, Damian Lillard going to Philly, and then figuring it out that way. My immediate take on that is I don't think that they can present as good of an offer as Miami can unless they include Tyrese Maxey. Maybe we will save them momentarily at least Phoenix just doesn't have the assets to do it. In my opinion, uh, Sacramento has De'Aaron Fox. I don't think they're going to go down this road. What, what San happened Antonio, to, Sam, what happened to Phoenix's assets? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, huh. it's going to be a great team this year. I'm excited. San Antonio, I think proved with their free agency decision-making this year that they're going to, build slowly yep. around Vic as opposed to acquiring a 33-year-old point guard. I don't see them. Toronto, I think, is worth saving. Utah, I, they have the assets to do this, but like, have we seen any evidence that Utah wants to speed up this rebuild in any way? I haven't seen any evidence of it, Sam. But uh, I, I, I still I look at their future draft pick cachet and maybe one or two intriguing young players they already have. And I understand why from a Portland perspective, that looks more appealing than what you might be able to find elsewhere. But I agree. I I don't see where Utah wants to speed this thing up, even for a guy who played college hoops not too far away. Yep. And then the Wizards are rebuilding. There's no reason for them to go and acquire Lillard. So we've just eliminated like at least half of the teams, right? So let's start with Brooklyn, because Brooklyn is a team that has been connected here in a big way. I think Brooklyn makes more sense as a third team, frankly, as opposed to being a uh, primary settling spot for Lillard. Brooklyn does have a somewhat substantial number of picks if you go further out into the future. I just don't know why Brooklyn does this, is my question here. I don't think Damian Lillard makes them a contender in the next two years. Because I'm assuming you'd have to give up, you know, let's say, four or five first-round picks here. They're going to want to keep Mikhail Bridges. You have the Ben Simmons deal as salary ballast. You're probably going to have to remove one of those picks that you're sending back um, or that you're acquiring if you're Portland in order to – well, no, you're probably going to have to add picks if you're Brooklyn yep. to get rid of the Simmons deal in and of itself. So does a Damian Lillard, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith team get it done? Uh, I think that team is a – it's like a six or a seven seed. I was going to say six seed in the East. Like they're not better than Boston, Philly, Milwaukee as they're currently made up. I think Cleveland is probably better in some regard. There's a Miami we just saw make to the NBA finals. So I, no, they're, they're not better. And that's, that's the huge part of this. Damian Lillard is 33 years old. He you doesn't have to have, be better now. You have to win now. And if you're going to mortgage your future by trading that many draft picks in order to get Damian Lillard, you have to know you're a top three or four team in your conference and you're going to make it to a deep run in the NBA playoffs in years one or two. You have to know that as soon as you pull the trigger. Brooklyn, they can't know that. They don't have enough around him. Okay, so I saved Chicago here. I just want to know. 
Chicago, the reason I'm including them in some respect is that they are unpredictable and that they have not made rational decisions, in my opinion, over the last, basically since Lonzo has like been hurt, right? Uh, since that original Lonzo injury. They could do something a bit wild. If you're Damian Lillard, I don't think you want to go to Chicago. If you're Chicago and you get Dame, let's say they use like Lonzo, Pat Williams. I mean, you basically have to include one of Levine or DeRozan, I think, to get it done because Vooch can't be traded for a while. Kobe White can't be traded for a while. DeSumo can't be traded for a while. Javon Carter can't be traded for a while. So you basically have to include probably DeRozan because he's the expiring deal. You're doing like DeRozan, Lonzo, Pat Williams, Dalen Terry, and then like a bunch of picks. That doesn't get you anywhere. No. And in for, the East. And for Portland, you'd have to pay Pat Williams rather quickly yes. because this is the last year of his rookie contract. Uh, correctly. Guide me here a little bit, Sam. The Bulls either applied for or were granted a disabled player exception for Lonzo for the upcoming year. Do you know? Yeah, which... they were granted that. Yeah. So, what does that mean in terms of trading Lonzo Ball away? As soon as they spend that money on the disabled player exception, they're no longer able to trade him away, or does that start now? Uh, I, I truly have no idea. I, I would imagine they can move him now as now that they haven't used the yeah. player exception, but I would think they lose the player exception once you, move of course, I, yeah. I don't know this for sure. Okay. Yeah. I think that's something to obviously monitor within that is whether Lonzo can, or even would be included in it. I, I think that that's almost similar to a Ben Simmons type of deal where if you use Lonzo with salary filler, you have to assume he's dead weight. You don't know if he's ever going to be able to play again and return to form to, to be on an NBA floor and, and have a positive impact. So if you're Chicago, you're then sending additional draft compensation out the door in order to use Lonzo as filler. I just, I don't love that from a team that has already made some aggressive win now moves that haven't really paid off yet. Next up here would be I want to at least mention the Warriors. He is from the Bay. I, I wonder if there is like a world where he could convince, uh, where like Steph and Dre and those guys could convince him to go. Uh, they do have this massive Chris Paul salary. I don't, I'm trying to remember if Chris Paul can be aggregated at some point but let's say that like we get past the point where his salary can be aggregated uh you could do like chris paul carrie payton the second which would be funny for a number of respects <laughs> john kaminga moses moody like brandon pajemski and picks right does that top a miami offer in your mind so if I'm Portland, I kind of like the idea of whatever the biggest salary I get back is being off my books really quickly. In, in Chris would, Paul's case, that would be true. That would be true. To me, that is something appealing for their front office is we don't carry around. I don't want to call Chris Paul deadweight. He's certainly not deadweight. Let's be very clear about that. 
but a contract that we know we are not going to renew and keep, we don't want to keep that on our books for a very long period of time. I find some value in that. But on the flip side, I'm not as high on Kaminga as a tradable piece for a, a team like like Portland. I think he's still a little bit unknown of a commodity. He's got to be paid sooner rather than later. I don't love that. Um, I think there are other teams who have better young players or assets that I would look for if I'm Portland. I think the other flip side of this is if you're Golden State, is that far too aggressive of a move that would mortgage your future uh, once this kind of core hangs it up by trading away all those draft picks that will ostensibly have a lot of value four or five, six years down the line. Well, so my question is like, so you're talking then Steph, Dame, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney is a core, right? Great. It's a great core. Truly is. It makes it, it, uh, this does make them better in some way. I don't know if Damian Lillard would be interested in this. Damian Lillard seems to be more interested in going to like be able to play point somewhere else, which he'd be able to do in Miami. Kuminga is not an asset I'm super excited about. I agree with you. Would you rather have? essentially four years of rookie scale contract on Jaime Jaquez or two years left of of uh, Jonathan Kuminga before you have to like make decisions on paying them. Which of those two is a better asset in your mind? Uh, that's tough. Uh, I think it's actually pretty close. Yeah, I think it's pretty close to again for for a rebuilding team that wants a longer window like Portland would if they trade away Damian Lillard, I'll probably say Hawkins. I I think it's pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Um I, I really like Moses Moody. I would rather have Mo- Moses Moody than Jonathan Kaminga and Jaime Hawkins. So that, that's like a better centerpiece. Uh in terms of like picks that they have available, uh, they obviously owe Memphis a pick. So you could do, and they'll probably give up that pick in 2024, but you could do like 26 and 28. So you can only do two firsts. You could do a couple of swaps. And then it's like Moody, Kaminga, Pajemski is your offer. I don't know. That seems commensurate with the Miami offer, I guess, yeah. to me. Yep. And I think, it's close. It's close to me. So let, that, let me let me ask you this, Sam. Yeah. Damian Lillard has already come out and firmly stated his desire to go to Miami. Right. And we are kind of envisioning scenarios here that are either trades that get done this summer. Or, I'm assuming in season for a or, lot of us. Or in season, yeah. right, because we need more salaries to be able to get to the point where they can convey via trade. But if Damian Lillard refuses to play for Portland by saying, I only want to go play for Miami. There's a lot of risk for any other team that would be acquiring him to say, why wouldn't Dame just do the same here and sit out? So if you're golden state and I don't envision this happening, but it's possible. And you make that type of a deal for Damian Lillard. He could still say, this isn't Miami. This isn't where I want to be. Yeah. Within all of these situations, that risk exists, I think. Which you have I, to, 
Yeah, which I think drives down what a lot of these teams who are not the Miami Heat would really be willing to offer in terms of mortgaging their future. Agree. Look, I don't think he would do that if he got moved somewhere else necessarily. I'm skeptical of it, mm-hmm. but if it was particularly the wrong place, right. I wonder. Um, a team like Golden State, where he'd be going home to the Bay, I find it hard to believe that he right. would do that. Right. Um, a team like uh, Charlotte or something, if Charlotte was to go get him, I wonder. If a team like Houston was to go get him, like so Houston is up next. I think that's a real thing Houston would have to consider. Houston also yeah. just signed a point guard in Fred Van Vliet. Uh, they have Jalen Green, who they want to get on-ball reps to. The only reason I wanted to at least briefly mention Houston, Houston could be like a bit of a chaos team if they start poorly this year. Uh, front office you know, needs to win games sooner rather than later. I don't think they would do this. I at least wanted to like bring them up at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, the next team for us was Memphis. The idea here would be if they just didn't buy John Morant and they think that Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson are ready to compete now along with like Marcus Smart and everything. I think that they are much better off just continuing down the road with John Morant. Like truly. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I don't see there being, and let, and if put it this way, if Memphis is offering John Morant in a trade like this, or if they are like trying to get another point guard, you should then be worried about acquiring John Morant. Yes. Run the other way. way. Yep. So I think they can't actually offer John Morant anywhere. And I think that they can't go out and get another point guard. I think Memphis does not make a lot of sense here, but I at least wanted to like spend a minute on that. Fair. Totally fair. Minnesota. There is a world where you can come up with like an interesting three team trade for Carl Towns. If I am Portland, I am not interested in acquiring Carl Towns. I, I, I'm just not, I'm not interested in it. It's not a guy I want to build around. Uh, he's 28 years old. For all the talk about Jalen Brown's contract, I still think the Carl Towns contract uh, has more negative value long term. Carl Towns is going to be making $64.9 million in 2027-28. And while we can talk about that as like an expressed percentage of the cap, it's still about 34% of the salary cap. And I just don't know if a 30, what would that be? 28 years old now, uh, that's five years down the road. Like that's like a 32-year-old Carl Towns. Like that's probably the window where Portland's looking to compete. That's not a guy that I'm interested in if I'm Portland. So then you're looking at a three-team construction where you're trying to do this. And I don't know who wants Towns on that money is kind of my thing. Do, no. do, you, have a, do you have an answer there? I don't. I, I, I really, really don't. Uh, it, it's He is going to be one of the more difficult players to try to peg in terms of external value just because I think – if anything, Minnesota wanting to move on from him proves that he has to be a five. And man, does that change the way that your roster is constructed around him on the defensive end of the floor as well as the offensive. So I don't know. I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it with Minnesota. The Pelicans, I think, are an interesting name. And I think they are the first team we have talked about where I have real 
like I wonder a little bit if they could be a team that truly decides let's let's see what we can do here. They have a number of different potential constructions. If Zion gets hurt again, like maybe Zion is an interesting name. They have CJ McCollum as potential salary ballast. They have a lot of young guys. Like they have Dyson Daniels. They have Trey Murphy. Uh, they have a number of picks and a number of potential swaps moving forward from the Lakers in 2025, I believe. Um, they have Milwaukee pick uh, still, I believe. Right? So they've they've one Milwaukee pick left. I, I know they have a swap so. still. I, I know they have two swaps with Milwaukee still. Yeah, I think I think they have one. Yeah, trying to. Yeah. I, I think they have they have twenty twenty seven uh, of a Milwaukee yeah. pick. If I remember correctly, they might also have twenty twenty five, but I think for some reason that might be going elsewhere off the top of my head. Um, I think that might going to new york maybe i can't remember uh, for some for some reason like new york is standing out there to me okay. um and then yeah they have the they have the lakers uh 2024 picks still and the pelicans have a right to defer that to 2025 if they want to they have a number of assets they have jordan hawkins like there are, there are different things that you could throw out where you could come up with a construction for new Orleans, new Orleans also, I think wants to be better. If you have a Damian Lillard, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, if you're able to keep Trey Murphy, if you're able to keep Herb Jones, like construction, that probably does make you a contender. I think. It depends on who, but yes. The Pelicans are an interesting team here. At the very least. The question is, would Dame go play for the Pelicans? I don't know the answer to if he wants to go play in New Orleans. I don't know if he'd be happy in New Orleans. And this is where it ultimately falls apart. Even if he's like unhappy in New Orleans, let's say he'd be willing to play, but is like kind of unhappy there. I don't know if that's who you, because ultimately for a lot of these teams, it's about opportunity cost. We are acquiring Damian Lillard, is opposed to going out and getting somebody else that comes available when that happens. Like if it's Zion, I'm actually a little bit more interested in that, to be honest. Like if new Orleans would do Zion for Dame, I think that's like a little bit more intriguing if I'm new Orleans, frankly, but also I don't know if I want to do that if I'm new Orleans. I have the slightest clue what to make of Zion Williamson's overall long-term value yeah. right now. Like I, I mentioned Towns as a guy I'm struggling with. Like Zion is probably the hardest player to peg right now in terms of injuries Lisa. and, and as everything's really hard to try to nail down. I just don't, I don't see them getting desperate to do Lillard. I think that they would I like that. save it for another player, basically, unless they knew Lillard wanted to go there. And all of the indications so far is that Dame, Mark Spears just went on TV last night and said, it's still Miami for Dame. 
I would not want to do this if I was New Orleans at the end of the day. Yeah, they they have enough timeline symmetry with all of the good players that yes. they have that trading for Dame screws that up in a way that if you don't nail it, you're setting yourself back a lot. It would be an all-in move before you have to make an all-in move, yep. I think is the way to phrase it. Okay. The Knicks. The Knicks are perpetually in star conversations. I think you can make a case for the Knicks here. The Knicks have some interesting pick capital coming in. Like they have a Wizards pick in theory. I don't know if that'll ever actually transfer necessarily, but they have it until 2026. They have Dallas's pick next year. They have a potential Detroit pick coming for the next four years. I think that they have all of their own picks moving forward. So basically they have like three or four additional picks. Plus that Milwaukee pick I mentioned earlier. Plus their own picks. There's a case to be made that New York should do this. It's just, do you think that a Damian Lillard, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, Josh Hart, probably, I don't know, would Mitchell Robinson be included there? Like, yeah, I don't know. One of him or from, from a, Yeah. From a salary perspective, you probably have to do R.J. Barrett, Yvonne Fournier, and then you could do quickly in Grimes, and then picks, right? So is Damian Lillard, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, Josh Hart, good enough to compete at the top of the East. Uh, that, that really hinges on how highly you think of Julius Randall setting into that number three role in some regard. Like I think Brunson and Lillard get the ball a little bit more in their hands. Uh, I'm not sold on it on paper, but I understand why both timeline wise and with how stagnant the Knicks have been in like this hierarchy of the East for a long period of time, why you would want to make that move if you're them. I, I would understand that more than I would with maybe New Orleans. I just don't think this is a move that this front office with the Knicks makes. Yep. This Knicks front office has been very patient. They've been waiting for specific stars to come available. I don't think they're going to rush the timeline for a 33-year-old point guard. Great as Damian Lillard is, I don't see it. Yep. And unfortunately, Leon Rose is not going to have media availability for us to ask him that question directly. Yeah. You know, whatever. shout out, shout out Leon, the pride of Dickinson college. I love it. Uh, the Orlando magic are a team that I think you could make a case for like this front office probably needs to be good sooner rather than later. Um, they need a point guard. They have interesting salary situations where they have like this Jonathan Isaac deal at 17 million. They have Gary Harris on an expiring $13 million deal. Like you, you can, and then they have all of these younger players, right? Like you could throw in Jalen Suggs. You could throw in, you know, Jet Howard or Anthony Black. You could throw in uh, Caleb Houston, Chumo Kiki. Do they want Wendell Carter? Like I, I don't... They have the assets to be able to do it. They have all of their own picks. They have one pick coming from 
Denver, if I remember correctly. Or they have two, maybe. They might have two, even. And they have they have Chicago one coming still, right? Or is it the no? That's expired. Yeah. Jed Howard was the last pick of that deal. Okay. Does Damian Lillard, Paulo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, and a couple of the other young players stick around? Maybe let's say. Does that interest you enough for Orlando to push their timeline forward? No doesn't interest me from the magic perspective because I like a lot of the young guys they have. It doesn't interest me if I'm Damian Lillard because I don't want to go play babysitter on a team that could top out as seventh or eighth in the Eastern conference the next two years. And we don't know if they will be any better. That's what he's trying to leave Portland for. No, I, I don't, I don't see that from Dame's camp. I also don't see that from Damian Lillard's camp. Next. And I don't see that from like I don't if I'm Orlando no. that just seems like a panic move. And it's that's not it's similar to what we mentioned with New Orleans where this is not it's too early to go all in and push those chips in for a guy like Dame. The Philly thing is interesting. Like uh, James Harden on expiring has less value than that than Damian Lillard does by a pretty substantial margin. I think they'd have to include Maxi in some respect. This would be some weird three-team construction. Should Philly go down this road of like Maxi and Harden for Lillard? This is another one of those that's really hard to predict unless you know internally what the deal is with Harden and Philly. Like this may be the move that they have to make in some regard. If, if it was about wanting to make it, I don't think I would. I think I'd roll the dice and run it back with the group we had last year and try to build around the edges again. So my my case for this, if I'm Philly, would be I think Lillard is better than James Harden by like a pretty real margin. You continue to see what Paul Reed is. You then, you know, keep the Anthony Melton and extend him, maybe. Maybe if you don't want to pay Tyrese Maxey, this is a thing, but I, I don't know that I would want to do like I I'm okay paying Maxey. I think that what this construction would have to be is something like Harden going to the Clippers, the Clippers giving whatever pick value i think they have one that they can trade if i remember correctly i'll look that up while we're talking but like i think they only have one that they can move yeah that sounds that sounds about right like they they can't be sitting on a treasure trove of of picks or, or even if it is just one like it's not a very valuable pick you would think yeah like so they owe their 2024 and their 2026 to oklahoma city which means you can't trade the 2027. You can move the 28. It would have to be the 28. And because they are drastically over the cap or over the second apron, they don't have access to moving their seventh year uh, pick because of the new collective bargaining agreement. So they would have one pick to move for Harden. You would have to basically do like Harden to the Clippers Terrence Mann and that 28 pick to Portland. And then you'd have to find Lillard to Philly 
And then you'd have to find a fourth team that wants Maxi and then do like maybe like once one of Maxi or Simons and then find a team that is willing to give like multiple picks for one of those two. So then you're looking at like Terrence Mann, two picks. From but then like Philly probably has to throw in picks to make this work. Uh, plus Maxi, this doesn't really line up for me. No, my head hurts just thinking about this. Jeez, uh, that's a lot. It's a lot that has to fall perfectly in order for Philly to be involved. Yes, I agree. I don't really buy it. No, no. As I mentioned earlier. There's a difference between wanting to make this deal and having to make this deal. Like if you're Philly and you're sensing that Harden is gone or is going to try to hold out or, or just do something drastic. And if you don't replace him immediately, that might threaten the long-term relationship with Embiid. Then maybe you have to try to find a way to orchestrate yeah. this. And now you've got two teams that are really desperate in Portland and Philly and really motivated to make a four team or a multi-team deal happen. But I think that's different in feeling that you have to make this deal as opposed to thinking that you want to make this deal. I I wouldn't do it if I I wanted to. I get it for Philly. I guess my thing is like, is the Miami offer just better than this for Portland? That's where it comes down to Philly dragging other teams in and sweetening the pot for the Blazers. I kind of think that, the Miami deal just might be better. Like if you can get three first rounders in Hawkes and Jovic, like that's probably a better deal. It's it's close. It depends on if Maxi's coming back. To be honest with you, I'd love to see Maxi in Portland. So you already have Scoot. You already have Simons. So you'd be moving one of Simons or Maxi. I think in getting additional assets. So yep. you get Man in a first rounder. You get whatever Maxi is bringing plus maybe a one more first rounder from Philly. So that's like two firsts, Terrence Mann, and then whatever the Maxi or Simons mm-hmm. deal brings you. Is that a better offer? Maybe it's a better offer. I think, maybe. I, I think it is. That could be a better offer. Yeah. I need to know what you can get for Maxi. I, I don't have a great feel for his trade value right now, given that he's about to be very expensive. And that's okay. Like he's a good player and I'm totally good with that. But you maybe have sold me that this is a better offer. Maybe. I still don't know. I need to know. There are too many moving parts for us to like fully evaluate it on some level. Yeah. Next would be, and I think this is the last team here, really, Toronto. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people connect Toronto with this is like a Maasai and waiting kind of move where he's hoping that they're trying to, you know, wait, he's going to wait this out and then that's going to be their point guard of the future. Here is, so the idea here would be in order to get Dame, you would have to do like Gary Trent's expiring, Chris Boucher, Thad Young, that gets you to, what, 2038 in terms of money 
Otto Porter gets you close. And then it'd have to be like, and this is if you don't include Ananobi, and I don't think you'd want to include Ananobi uh, if you're acquiring Damian Lillard. The assets going back to Portland would essentially be Grady Dick, Precious Achua, and then picks. And they have most of their picks. Like they have, I believe, three that they can move, 26, 28, and 30. Um, they can't move 24 because that's going to San Antonio. Two questions here. Okay. Is a Damian Lillard, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, uh, Jakob Pertle team a contender in the East? If it's not a contender, it's pretty damn close. The one thing that they need is floor spacing. Yeah, I agree. I, I I don't. Is that team better than Milwaukee? They're not. They're not better than Milwaukee, but you could realistically understand how they could move past Milwaukee in a playoff situation. Okay. Is now let's go to the other side of this. Is a Grady Dick, Precious Achua, and two first-round picks offer better than Jaime Jaquez, Nikola Jovic, three first-round picks? I don't think so, but I am salivating at the thought of Scoot Henderson and Grady Dick sharing the floor together. Precious is also a big, they need a big of the future in some respect. I think you can make a case that's a better offer. I had Grady and Hawkes like quite close at the end of the day. Yeah, I had Grady a lot higher. Yeah, I had them a little bit closer. I think Precious is like, it depends on how you evaluate Precious. Is Precious worth Jovic in a first? I think he probably is. I think he's probably better than that offer, but I'm not a big Nikola Jovic fan. Yeah, and I, I don't find Precious to be predictable enough. Uh, he's just the ultimate wild card with what you're going to get when you throw him on the floor. Like, I, I would rather have the picks. Okay. The next question is, the reason I don't, I'm like hesitant to bring this up, I do not think they will offer Scotty Barnes Yeah. in a deal like this. I just don't. I don't think you offer Scotty Barnes in a deal for Damian Lillard when you don't know if Damian Lillard is going to be happy there. I just don't think you can make that assessment given the financial issues involved with that. I think it's a similar offer to Miami at the end of the day. It's similar. I'm I'm trying to think about what Scotty as a centerpiece looks like. I don't know. That's while I I don't love the idea of giving up Scotty for a risk of Dame, like Dame, Gary Trent, Ananobi, Siakam, Pirtle. That team fits in a not really nice way for me. 
but man, do I not want to give up Scotty if I'm Toronto. Yeah. Well, it's to me, it's unrealistic because I don't think they're going to do it. Yeah. So like, I just don't think it matters on some level. The offer is to me, Grady Dick, Precious and Chua and the picks that they can move. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I like that more than Miami's. I don't think so. I probably like it a little bit better, but if I'm Toronto, I'm not giving up all of that. No. To do it when I don't know if, Dame is going. This is why, to me, is we're going through this. Like, I can make cases for Toronto. I can make cases for New Orleans. I can make cases for the weirdo Philly offer that would eventually have to be like a four-team construction. To me, Miami makes the most sense out of all of this as an ending location. They are, to do a Damian Lillard deal, you have to be competing. You have to be willing to give up a number of assets And you have to be like a genuine contender that can win a title within the next two years to do this. Because Damian Lillard will be 35 in two years. And that's where things, I think, get a little bit questionable. I think he'll be great for the next two years. I think that like if he diminishes to being a top 30 player when he's 35 years old, that's where things become an issue for you as your team building. Miami ticks all of the boxes in ways that other teams don't, in my opinion. They can try and win a title in the next two years. They literally just went to the finals. Dame could push them over the top. They have some assets to give up. Kevin Pelton also did the math on their financial situation. They could theoretically offer three firsts right now. Plus Hawkes, plus Jovic. And then also find a way to do Jaime Hawkes. Or I'm sorry, find a way to do Tyler Hero elsewhere to get a pick and then like do a fourth pick within a deal like this. Right. I got you. I got you. Okay. So they can even up their offer a little bit more still. Yeah. Hmm. Again, I, I think that like Portland fans should reasonably be upset about the way this is all playing out. I think Portland fans should be upset that they're one of their three best players in franchise history has asked out basically. I just don't think it's a, is advantageous situation for Portland is what people think. It, whether you like it or you hate the idea of stars being able to call their own shots and decide where they want to play. As soon as Damian Lillard and his camp publicly stated that the only place he wants to go in Miami that it became really difficult for Portland to gain trust elsewhere where other teams would be willing to give up equal to what they would be able to get in from. So I, I guess here's, here's a different way that I would phrase it. Sure. If Damian Lillard did not publicly say Miami, I still would say, I think Miami is more incentivized to do this than any other team. And thus, I think they are very likely to offer something in the ballpark of the most for him. Just probably like a four-team construction with Maxi or Simons where like you can maneuver some things around, 
right? And maybe you can get a little bit more that way. There's probably, if, if there's maybe a deal with New Orleans where you could make it work if New Orleans like really panicked. But I still think Miami makes the most sense. This is where, this is why I wanted to do this exercise kind of. I still think that there is a real case that Miami at the end of the day would be the most incentivized to offer the most and would in all likelihood offer the most. Yep. And again, if I'm any other team, any of the other 28 that are involved in this, and I'm thinking about ponying up an offer for Damian Lillard that's competitive with Miami's, if not exceeding it, I'm really scared to do so because of the risk that is associated with getting Damian Lillard and having him not want to play for your franchise and still say, I only want to go to Miami. That scares me enough as a you know, decision maker for another team that I, I think this is pretty sewn up for Miami at this point. I don't know if it's sewn up. I, I don't want to pretend sure. to know that, but sure. I think it makes the most sense. Yeah. I think logically Miami continues to make the most sense. And I think that Miami would still be the team we'd be talking about most, even if Damian Lillard had not asked for Miami specifically. And I think that's where I sit on it. Okay. Question and answer time, folks. Woo! Let's go. Let's jump in. We're going to go through some Twitter questions first because we asked about we asked for those earlier, and we got some good ones. So let's All dive right. in. Let's do it. From Zachary Ament. Just how bad is the 2024 NBA draft? How does it compare to other weak drafts like 2000 or 2013? And then the additional question here, how do you think the weakness of the 2024 draft will impact how teams operate this year? That's a lot. Um, I'll go first here, Sam, and just say that I, I think the weakness of the class comes in not being able to easily identify 12 months in advance who the best players are. I think that there's a, a very real chance that we get to next June and the guy who's picked first would probably end up going fourth or fifth in most other years. But I think there's depth to be found in the class in some regard. I think it's a really heavy international class. Uh, I think there are going to be a lot of good players who aren't playing in college basketball next season. And I am trying to continue to attack this from an open-minded perspective of I'm just waiting for those guys to stand out and really win me over. But first glances and impressions are, yeah, it's probably the weakest draft class we've seen in maybe seven or eight years. Yeah. I think it's since 2013 in terms of the top end talent, uh, in 2020, we still thought Anthony Edwards was going to be a legitimate first-round pick coming into the season. Uh, there was enough buzz about LaMelo to where we felt pretty good about LaMelo. Although he was like a little bit all over the map for people, yeah. uh, admittedly. There was still buzz about James Wiseman. There was still buzz about like other players, right? Uh, the top end talent this year 20, in 2024, I think, is lower than what it's been. Uh, I, I do think that that's where I'm struggling with it. 
I don't have like a real number one prospect right now. I don't really have a guy that I think is like a top four prospect uh, in an average draft right now. Someone will emerge into that. Maybe two people will emerge into that, but I don't see it right now. And that's where I think it gets complicated for teams. In my opinion, the top 10 of this draft is probably very likely to be much weaker than what it normally is. And I think there is some interesting depth as you go through. Yep. Totally agree. And I, I, like Billy, the kid says, it's like when and scoot withdrawal, honestly, I think it's more that this class is just not very good. And by the way, 2025, depending on if Cooper flag ends up in that class, you know, it might not be much better. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So uh, I see Ron Holland as like a really good starter in the NBA. I see Justin Edwards is kind of interesting. Like you could maybe sell me on him being maybe a little bit more than that. Um, Obviously a little bit older already, but they both really have to shoot. And I I don't know if they're going to shoot. I'm with you. I really like Izzy Almanza. I think people are going to be surprised where I have him um, based off where he is on other boards. But like, you know, I don't know what he is yet. Like, I, I, sure. I need to see more of the shooting. Like, there's not a crazy amount of shooting in this draft class. Like, I love Gavin Griffiths. So I don't know if Gavin Griffiths is going to be ready to be a first-round pick in 2024. You know what I mean? So, I, I'm I'm much lower on this class than what I think people are portraying, <laughs> especially at the oh. top. Uh, I, I think I'm even lower on it than what other people people are right now i think people are trying to make excuses for it in a lot of ways and my my response is mostly just this is not not the class for me basically and i tend to be the excuse maker yeah um brandon mcintyre asked a dame question uh outside of the pelicans not wanting to pay the tax why doesn't Dame for Trey Murphy and Dyson Daniels and then CJ to a third team make sense? Uh, maybe CJ to the Nets and the Blazers take on Simmons. I mean, I just don't think that the Pelicans are going to speed this thing up in that manner. Honestly, like, I, I just don't, I don't think they're going to try and go for it in that way. Yeah, and I um, think we, we already know if you're Portland what Miami's offer is in some regard. Like, I don't know if that alone is going to be enough. Look, I, I would rather have Trey Murphy than oh, anything that, in the Miami offer, like that's unequivocally. True. That's true. So I understand why the idea of Trey Murphy would come up here in a Damian Lillard deal. Again, though, for me, it's like opportunity cost. If I'm New Orleans and I am willing to move Trey Murphy for somebody – I would rather it be for somebody that I know is more willing to be there at the end of the day. Because if it doesn't work in the first year with Brandon Ingram and Zion and whoever you still have on the team, right? Around those guys, it probably becomes like a pretty unhappy environment because Brandon Ingram is going to be going for a supermax. Zion is trying to get healthy and get moving again. Maybe Lillard doesn't want to be there. I just don't think that's the deal that I would go in on if I was New Orleans. Yeah, yeah I agree. It feels risky to me in a way that they don't have to take on that much risk yet, I don't think. So that's why that deal doesn't really work for me. Sure. Uh, 
Let's see here. What do you got for me, Sam? What Ohio State freshman do you like the most long term? I like Devin Royal, but I think most would say Scotty Middleton. Uh, This is from Chetty Better, at Chetty Better, which is a great name. Yeah, I I like Middleton quite a bit. I see see some upside for him. I think people are going to be surprised where I have uh, Scotty Middleton. Uh, I have have him as like a – I have already texted Mark Titus to apologize for – where I have Scotty Middleton uh, in my preseason mock. Uh-oh. So, yeah. Uh, Scotty for me, for sure. Uh, all right. I love Scotty. Start, bench, or cut as prospects. Ooh. Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, Brandon Miller. As prospects. As in as prospects. what we saw or thought of them pre-draft? It, what we saw or thought of them pre-draft is the way I'm reading this question. Yeah, I will start Tatum. I will bench Ingram and cut Brandon Miller. I would flip Ingram and Tatum. I had them both ranked two. In their respective classes, I had a slightly higher grade on Ingram uh, due to the length and just kind of he had a better year at Duke than what Jason did did at the end of the day. Offensively, he was a lot better. I I think Tatum was surprisingly solid at Duke defensively. I agree with that, too. I agree with that. Um, I had a slightly higher grade on Brandon um, than I did Jason, but I ended up with Jason at number two on my board and got yelled at for months (laughs) and I literally went on like the Lakers nation podcast and said they should take Jason Tatum instead of Lonzo and got yelled at. And, uh, you know, here we are now. Next up. Do you think Benedict Matherin can become an all-star? Yeah, he can. He's just going to have to change a lot of things in order to get there. I think the upside is there. Yeah. Like, I, I think that the athletic upside, the shot making upside, um, you can see all of it. It's just, I, I really did not like his last like 50 games of the year. I, I thought his yeah. like defensive intensity was not strong enough. I thought that his um, decision making was pretty rough. He obviously didn't shoot well at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think, yes, he has the upside to be an all-star. I think I would bet against it. Agree. I totally agree with that. I think I would bet against it happening, um, but I'm intrigued. Sure. Do you guys think that with the assistance of Memphis' developmental system, Gigi Jackson can become a rotational player? Yeah, I certainly do. I think that Memphis or not, like his talent is really, really high end. I don't think the issue was ever about whether he's talented enough to be able to become a rotation player. It's about his willingness to fit into a different system in some regard. And we'll see if I think Memphis is very clear in what they ask for their players of. And maybe that is exactly what Gigi Jackson needs 
time will tell. I think it depends on how long they're willing to develop him. I, I'm intrigued like about him going to Memphis. I think Memphis is the best possible spot for him. He will spend the entire year with the hustle. And I think that that's where he should be. He should be with the hustle the whole year. Uh, they have a lot of guys in front of them. Like Jaron Jackson, Santi Aldama, Jake LaRavia, David Roddy. Uh, I feel like I'm even missing one to be honest. Like, he has a he has a lot of names to jump yep. before he can become a rotation player. Like Zaire Zaire Williams would be ahead of him. Brandon Clark would be ahead of him. I think he's a four. So like yep. you know Xavier Tillman would be ahead of him in some lineups. I think again I would probably bet against it. I had GG, you know, in the four. I think I had him at like forty on my board, and it's unlikely that the fortieth overall pick is going to be a rotation player. So. I think Memphis is the best possible place he could have ended up, but I, I still wouldn't bet on it. Okay. I think that like it's much more likely he ends up in his second stop being a rotation player. And maybe Memphis's developmental system helps him along that way. It's just there are a lot of guys ahead of him. There are a lot of guys ahead of him in Memphis. Yep. Yes, there are. Uh, Shannon Thomas asks, uh, I got on late. Did you mention OKC for Dame? We did. Uh, they're not going to speed up their process and acquire a 33-year-old point guard. It's just not going to happen, I don't think. I don't see it either. Uh, I I would be – that's a thing that would completely stun me, uh, just given how meticulous they've been about building their roster. Okay, we're going to go up. We're going to start some YouTube questions now. From Woosh. I've been dying to know who you have at number one in this 2024 draft. I'm not going to share that until my mock comes out. That'll probably be early next week at this point. (sighs) Come on, Sam. Um, I've saved some stuff for the athletic. Uh, Adam loving Almanza this early has been awesome to see. So far, I've really loved Alex Sar. Wondering your thoughts on Alex Sar. I really like Alex Sar. I will share that I have a lottery grade on him right now. Um, I think his athleticism and his athletic upside for his size, seven foot, seven foot, four and a half wingspan, uh, his movement skills, some potential to put the ball on the deck. Uh, and then defensively, he's just a monster. He's going to be in Perth this year, so I'll get to see him quite a bit. Um, I, I am I am truly, really excited about Alex Sar. Uh, I, I think his defensive upside is immense. Yeah, he's the closest thing to a Taylor Hendricks we could have in this class. Uh, I really like Sar. I, I think he's more like a Nick Claxton for what it's worth. Yeah, like yeah. That's more where I'm envisioning his upside. But again, I, I really liked Claxton. I had Claxton top 20 in that class. Me too, yeah. And you know, Sar is bigger than he is. And I think he even has more rim protection potential than what Claxton does. Um, so I, I really like Alex Sar. He, he's a guy that I would, um, that I would bet on in a pretty yeah. real way. Yeah, me too. I love, love Alex Sar. Love Almanza. Love that. I love Izzy too. Uh, from Brett Huff, any thoughts on Sasha Vizenkov and how he translates to the NBA? Should the Kings have instead focused on improving their defense rather than their already elite offense? I like the way he shoots the ball. I think he's a really good fit spacing around Sabonis and Fox. Uh, it's an easy translation for me in that regard. As to the second point, like, I don't know. I think at some point, like, your identity is your identity and you're not going to really fix it or you know, I, I don't think that adding defensive minded personnel is a guarantee improvement for the Kings if it comes at the, the sake of floor spacing. 
I think the formula that they have works, and I'd want to see if it continues to improve with year two in the Mike Brown system. I, I love Zankov's offensive fit for the Kings. I think that it's going to be perfect. Like he is such a smart off ball mover, such a smart cutter. He's going to play off of Sabonis like at an elite level. It's going to be ridiculous watching him. If he can get some bench minutes, like with Sabonis with the, mm-hmm. with like with the bench unit, uh, he, he is, he moves so well. His release on his shot is so quick. Uh, 40% three point shooter. I, I buy everything on offense. I, I am quite skeptical of him being able to hold up defensively in the NBA, but if you surround him with the right pieces, I think you can make it work. Um, I think he is worth a bet with the contract that they gave him because I think the offense has potential to be as good as it is. Yep. Good assessment. Uh, In terms of improving their defense or having their elite offense, I just don't know what else was out there for them basically to make that jump. So I think it's fine. I think it's, I think what they did is fine. Okay. Nicholas Martino. Given the news about the $700 million offer for Kylian Mbappe from Al-Hilal, do you see a similar situation coming from a disgruntled NBA player being courted by a Saudi or other rich foreign team? Sam, you're going to have to take this one first, man. I got no idea. So my take is not... It's not that I think a player would go over to Saudi Arabia and play especially one worth like a hundred million dollars a i think that like from what i understand about like saudi arabia they care much more about soccer they care a lot more about the individual sports like golf and tennis than they do about basketball at this point that's not to say that you know the the pif the public public investment fund like they couldn't change that and make people care about basketball by investing a substantial amount of money into it what i would be most interested in is if the PIF decided to invest in like a live style other basketball league more than anything. (laughs) Like a one-on-one type of thing or two-on-two league? What if you just tried to challenge the NBA Uh, with the funds that you have? Well, I'll coach over there for a couple million. I, I just, that's to me, that is more likely than like a single player doing it. I don't, I don't know that I think it's likely necessarily. Um, But like, I do, I honestly wonder like if a lot of the players tweeting about this, you know, say like LeBron, you know, tweeted excitedly about it. Draymond Green tweeted excitedly about it. Like a lot of players were pretty public about, you know, Hey, offer me $700 million. Right. right? I wonder if that maybe could give them an idea on some things. The problem is with basketball, like with golf, you can go poach, you know, 50 good players for a hundred million dollars. Right. And make a very strong competitive league. You can't really do that with basketball. You have to poach probably a hundred and then like guys like LeBron, etc. it probably costs, you know, with LeBron, it probably costs 700 million, much similar to Mbappe. 
even for somebody like I'm trying to think of like a random player like Damian Lillard, Damian or like Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's now going to be making seventy million dollars in 2029. It, it probably costs two hundred million dollars to go poach Jalen Brown per year at this point. If you'd be willing to do it, I'm not. I'm like saying yeah. random names, right? I'm not saying that anybody'd be willing to do this. It's a stupid amount of money. Jeez. The, the level of investment it would require, I think, is exceedingly high. The public investment fund has an exceedingly high amount of money. I just wonder if they would be willing to like risk the battle, given that the investment that they have to make in basketball would be drastically, drastically higher than it would have to be in a sport like golf. Sure. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. But to me... That's what I'm most intrigued by um, in regard to a question like that. Do they try and like battle that way? Wow. From Jeffrey Chen, is El Marco Jackson a legit lottery prospect? What do you think, Sam? Um, I would have said in 2025, yes. I don't know about 2024. Because look, Dewan Harris is going to play point. Yes. Like they're not going to move the ball out of his hands. They have Arterio Morris, who I've heard good things about, like in the preseason at the very least so far. They have a loaded roster. They have Nick Timberlake, who's going to play minutes. They have Kevin McCullough, who's going to play minutes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have Hunter Dickinson, who's going to be a big. I will probably rank. El Marco in my top 30 pre-draft. I really love him. I love like, his athleticism. I love his talent. Like I, I like him more than I like DJ Wagner, frankly. But I don't know if I will get to lottery. It would not stun me if we would look up at the end of the year and he is a lottery pick. That is very much how I would phrase this. I think there are too many guys for him to have to beat out within that Kansas rotation in order to get a ton of reps and, and put up numbers to propel himself into that range. But it would not be surprising at all if he if we find him there at the end of the draft cycle. I really like his his upside. From Alex twenty two, what is Ryan Dunn's upside in the twenty twenty four draft, or more generally, how might the weaker draft class in twenty four change who enters the draft and how teams approach upside swings? Um, I don't want to answer the second part of that question because I think I'm working on something on that uh, with CJ uh, Moore, okay. but. What do you what do you think of Ryan Dunn? Because I actually quite like Ryan Dunn. I'm really intrigued by Ryan Dunn. I don't know if I like him yet, but very few guys are as long, gangly, move it, and have like true shooting promise in the way that Dunn I think does. Um, I'm super intrigued by a guy like him. Yeah, I have a top like 35, 40 grade on Ryan Dunn. I'm like really, really interested in him. Yeah. You know, six eight, really good defender. I think has potential to shoot, but ultimately that's going to be kind of the swing skill for him. Uh, has some ball skill. These, these are the kind of guys that NBA teams hunt for and look for. Yep, uh, across the board. And I trust Virginia prospects. That's one thing that I'm really big on is is seeing the program that some guys come through, how they're developed, whether they're going to be able to buy into different roles or pop differently in the NBA. Virginia guys tend to be shackled a little bit more on the offensive end by Tony Bennett and the offensive systems and structures that he puts in place. I think those guys always show a little bit better than what we thought pre-draft once they get to the league. I'm hoping the same is there for Dunn because defensively, he looks exactly like what NBA teams covet. 
uh, from Dirty Dancer. How high are you on Melvin Agenza? Um, jury's still out for me. I mean, really intrigued by some of the stuff that I've seen. I just haven't, unfortunately, put enough time into to watching film on him. I really like him. I have him as a top 20 guy uh, coming in Ooh. right now. Um, All right. This shooting, like beautiful, smooth left-handed shot, can get it from a variety of footworks, can get it from a variety of balances. Um, real size, like six foot seven, looks to be pretty long, good physical frame. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've done like an enormous deep dive into the San Quentin tape from last year, but I've watched a little bit of it. And especially toward the end of the year, or like toward like the back half of his games at the very least, uh, I thought he was very impressive at that point. And he seems to be like on a real upward trajectory where it does not surprise me that he had as much success as he did in the U19. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- th- to me, I-, I have him in the top 20 right now. I, I really like Agenza. There, this is going to be a big international class for me. Like I'm probably, so I'm going to mess around and have like eight to 10 guys in a top 30 grade for me who are international guys. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Okay, going through here from Gaelic Elander. Uh, is it delusional to see 50 wins happening for Oklahoma City this season? I don't think it's delusion. I think it's a lot of optimism, um, but I get how you can get there. I think it's a lot of optimism. I think that the bet is like, you know, full season Lou Dort, getting some Case and Wallace, full season Kenrich Williams, full season Chet Holmgren. They take a big leap defensively. Like that's your selling point. If they take a big leap defensively because Chet is there, maybe I, I can see 50 happening. I think 50 is achievable, but unlikely. Yeah. I, think I, is what I, would say. I would say that one of Chet Giddy or Jalen Williams has to be like a borderline all-star, if not an all-star this year. And that's, that's a little bit optimistic for me. Uh, from basketball Genesis, what is the appeal of Tyrese Proctor? He had role with Duke this year and was bad. His athleticism is below average and he's a year behind other freshmen. Uh, strong disagree with much of this, but uh, he was bad for the first half of the year. I would agree with that. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll give you the floor here momentarily. Yeah, uh, big high IQ point guard. And those are guys that NBA teams really look for and covet to play the one Proctor is a fantastic pick and roll decision maker in ways he didn't get to show this year at Duke because of their inability to give him the ball in that role and their lineup decisions to play as many bigger bodies as they did that didn't shoot and space the floor properly. I think you hope that he grows into that role this year as the blue devils should have better floor spacing around him. But what we saw over the final six to eight weeks of the season was a lot more self-creation from a guy like Tyrese Proctor. Got comfortable in the mid-range, I think started to finish around the basket at a higher level. Those are really positive developments for me because the question for Proctor was always, how is he going to put the ball in the bucket? And if he keeps improving in that regard, is a legit late-clock option, shoots the ball well enough, I think he has all the other skills to translate for what NBA teams look for. Yeah, and if you actually look at Proctor, like, in the second half of the season last year, he was like pretty good. Like he averaged 11 points, 4.2 assists versus only 1.8 turnovers shot 41% from the field, 37% from three, 87% from the line. I completely buy him as a shooter. Like I think the shooting is going to be fine. Um, He has really good touch, all that. Uh, 
I think their spacing last year was not as good as what it will be this year. Uh, another year of Mark Mitchell development as a shooter, playing Filipowski at the five more than Derek Lively at the five. Uh, I think that you know having Jared McCain around, you know, maybe some Jaden Shut minutes, like you're going to see a lot more space for him to operate. I think as a pick and roll playmaker and passer. Uh, yeah. I, I have Tyrese very high, big point guards who can play make, who are awesome defensively, like who I think can shoot. Those are the guys that I want to take bets on and take flyers on. Yeah, me too. And again, I, I think it, you can't say enough how much this Duke offense and spacing is going to do wonders for him in terms of what he shows at the college level next year. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next up, next up. Let's see here. Um, as a UCLA fan, who do you guys prefer for the 2024 draft right now? Adem Bona or Ade Mara? I think Mara has much higher upside than a guy like Bona. I agree. I like Adem. I've, I've been a big you're Adem You're Bona the Adem fan. You know, believer here. Yeah, it's on the Ademda for me. Yeah, I, I really like him, his energy, his, his translatability on the defensive end of the floor. Like the NBA is trending more these days towards big men who can move their feet on the perimeter, hedge and recover, not just sit and drop coverage. I think Bona fits that well, but there's just too many other questions about like how consistently he impacts the game on offense. And I think he's much more of a, a real role player than a guy like Mara who can really pass that thing. Adem or uh, Ade, Ade Mara's passing ability is it's absolutely awesome. sick. It's awesome. Like the way he finds angles, the way he creates them with his size and length, he is he is something as a passer. I, I am an enormous fan of his passing. I, I do have him in the like lottery area right now. I don't know if um, it'll end up being like, you know, 10 to 20, like something like that. But yeah, yeah. like definitely. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Yeah, he's he is something. Let's see here. Uh uh, the Thompson twin ceiling has your appeal has your opinion changed after summer league in any way, shape or form? No, I tend to be somebody who doesn't change their opinions too much after a four or five game sample size at the max. I mean, we saw what three, four of a SAR and almost one of a men. Uh, so no, my opinion hasn't really changed. I think both have incredibly high ceilings. Amends is higher because of his offensive self-creation ability and just being a little bit more twitchy. That's been my take for the last 13 months. That's where I'm going to stay. Uh, yeah, I've seen nothing to really change much. Uh, from everyone needs a smile, though, do you think Ivy and Asar will chafe alongside one another? Both are more shooters in theory, and I think both need the ball in their hands to reach the ceiling. I don't think Asar is even a shooter in theory right now. Like He is not a shooter. Ivy is a shooter in theory. He made like 35% of his threes at Purdue, if I remember correctly, and like has had some stretches where he has made shots. Asar has made has had some stretches where he shot like 34% from three and generally has not been a consistent shot maker throughout his career and has a long way to go mechanically. Um, I don't know if Asar needs the ball in his hand to reach his ceiling. I think that it would be great to get the ball in his hands as like a secondary playmaker a lot, but it doesn't matter. Neither of these guys are going to have the ball in their hands. Cade's going to have the ball in his hands, I think. And I think they could chafe if 
one of them doesn't get secondary reps at all. But I do think that they will figure out a way to make it work. That sums up pretty much where I'm at. Like, I think the two of them could fit really well next to each other. I think the presence of a third guy who is more of the alpha in Cade just complicates this a lot for who gets touches when Cade doesn't have the ball. Yeah. Um, Okay. Okay. Let's see if we have anything else. Uh, From Everyone Needs to Smile Again, I think this is just an interesting question. Ivy and Asar were both picked fifth. Which do you think is the better long-term player? Uh, I'd probably say Ivy still, but I'm, I'm starting to, to, that's starting to get really close for me. I would take Ivy, uh, for sure. In my opinion. Um, I I would take Ivy. I think Ivy has a lot more upside, uh, on the ball because, uh, he's just a little, he seems a little bit more comfortable as like a pick and roll playmaker, frankly, at this point than Asar does. He's just, but he's got you know that. What? Oh, he's so fast. He's so fast. I think, I think Ivy's shooting being farther along is like a real difference maker. And the speed is a real difference maker. Asar doesn't play with that speed. Um, huh. This is hard. This is harder than what I thought. Yeah. Cause Asar's defense is like a real differentiating factor. I think Ivy has more upside because of his on-ball ability and the shooting ability. I think that, like, if you were making me pick median outcomes, I think I would take Asar's median outcome probably yeah. being a little bit higher than Ivy's because, like, I know for a fact Asar is going to play well off the ball. He's going to cut. He's going to play in transition as an off-ball player. He's going to defend at a super high level. Ivy has not figured out defense at all yet. And like he could end up like in that nether world where like maybe not good enough to be on the ball, but maybe not a good enough shooter. So like he ends up like as a bench player, like a great sixth man. But I, I think Ivy's upside is higher. I think Gosh. Ivy's upside is higher. I'm with you. Yep. Um. Okay. We're going to call it there. It's 145. We went for an hour, 45 minutes. And we answered, you know, probably what, like 20, 25 questions. I don't know. I'm not really good at counting. Yeah. Yeah. We we got a bunch of questions in. We'll probably do this again soon this summer, just because it feels like there's not a lot going on right now. Um, Also, I want to go watch the Team USA game uh, where the women are playing right now against the Netherlands. So, Adam, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Yeah, Sam, thanks again for having me on. Uh, in about three hours' time, if you're watching the, the YouTube stream, I've got a video premiering my own YouTube channel, which is my name, Adam Spinella. I look at some second-year players and their performances in Summer League, really what I've been focusing on the last couple of weeks and trying to compare their improvement areas pre-draft versus what we've seen from them over the last 12 months. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to call it Twitter or X anymore, but you can find me at the box and one underscore on whatever the hell that platform is. And uh, my Substack, the box and one dot substack.com has all my written work, but more than anything, I just enjoy coming here once a week and hanging out with Sam. It's the best. It's the absolute best. Uh, Adam, go follow his work on YouTube. He does a fantastic job over there. Uh, I will have a mock draft at some point, probably early next week at this point. I'm through like 6,000 words on it and I maybe have like 2,000 left, but I don't know if we're, we're probably not going to run it on a Friday. Um, 
at the website. We'll probably wait until early next week. So that's my current inclination on when that will be out. Uh, that's all I've got though right now, Adam. That's, that's all I know. But it was good to do this. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you.